0: up to Isaiah chapter 2 and basically what we're going to see today in in one sense uh, we're going to talk about the millennial kingdom and then we're going to talk about the day of the Lord and then we're going to talk about when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, okay? So how many of you here, just is there anyone here, you guys know the Millennial Kingdom, do you guys know what that is? I'm just curious. Is there anyone here that doesn't know what the Millennial Kingdom is? I'm curious, okay. So there are some people here who don't. Uh, Very important, you guys are going to see that in prophecy. It's, uh, It's basically after the rapture of the church. And so we see the signs right now. Um, one thing I want to mention to you guys, if you have our church app, every day we do a a daily briefing. And so for tomorrow's daily briefing, we're going to have two videos in there that have uh, information regarding how in Sweden, they are all receiving the microchip. I don't know if you guys, have you guys seen that video? Any of you guys seen that video? So, I mean, like we're talking about like total cashless society, you know? And so uh, they're receiving the microchip. It's not like uh, science fiction. This is real stuff. And it makes a lot of sense. They go and you see them, you know, open their doors. You see them buy their lunch. You see them purchase with this little microchip that they put right here in their hands. And so just like the Bible says in Revelation 13 and say, so those, that chip, that buying and selling happens during the tribulation period. And we won't be here during the tribulation period. We will already have been raptured out if you know the Lord. If you know the Lord, then you're going to be raptured out prior to this. And so all that to say that the signs are there, you know, it's amazing. They even, and I was reading on this and then looking and doing some research on it with the vaccine. Now they can insert something under your skin that that can actually detect if you have the coronavirus. They're working on stuff like this. So to me, you know, the little insert uh, of those types of things within our body it makes a lot of sense, and so let's just say that, you know, the world is going to buy into it. Everything is being set up, hook, line, and sinker. The global community, the way that government is rising up with the power, you know, just to, to do their thing. I mean, uh, what we see are the signs of the times, and I and I do believe that Jesus is coming soon. Now, you guys know that when you read the Bible, it predicted Jesus would come the first time, right? You guys know that, And then, you know, eventually on Christmas Day, the day that we celebrate, December 25th, he came, he was born, we celebrate him, we've been saved by him, we've been forgiven by him, right? And so he came the first time, and so if he came the first time, make no mistake about it, he will come again the second time. As a matter of fact, when you read the Old Testament, there are more prophecies about his second coming than there are about his first coming. And so we're there, you guys. We're on the brink of the rapture. I I see the signs everywhere. You can't even keep up with them. And so the rapture of the church happens. Then there's a seven-year tribulation. And I encourage you, you read Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and it talks about the 70 weeks of Daniel. There's one more seven-year tribulation. Period that's going to be primarily focused on the Jews, but we see it in Revelation 6 through 19. It's this whole unleashing of God's judgment on this world. And so we're going to see that's the day of the Lord. And so, you know, first the rapture, then the tribulation period, seven years, right? And you read about that in the book of Revelation. Then there's this thousand year reign of Christ. And so Jesus is going to come. And, and imagine how awesome that'll be. He's going to literally, physically reign from Jerusalem. We're going to read about that tonight. And let me ask you a question, you guys. If Jesus is ruling as the king of the world, do you think it's going to be pretty cool? I mean, it's going to be amazing, right? It's the millennial kingdom where, you know, the kids will be playing with the snakes and there's going to be no war. There's going to be, it's going to be amazing. We'll, we'll see a lot in the book of Isaiah And so that's the millennial kingdom. We read about it later in the book of Revelation as well, but it's a 1,000 years of Jesus reigning on planet Earth. And then after that, there's one more rise of rebellion. Satan is loose from the bottomless pit, the abuso, because during the 1,000 years, he's uh, chained up in this abuso. And so it's this crazy, it's going to be an amazing time when Jesus rules as the son of David, the king of the world, And then we're going to see that after that, there's one last rebellion. The Father just takes care of business. Then there's the judgment, Revelation 20. And then after all that, there's a new heaven and a new earth, okay? So that's what we as Christians, we know it's just saturated throughout the scriptures. There's no question about how it's all going to end. So we know, even though we're going through trials now, we know how it all ends. And so for us, you know, we're going to see in the book of Isaiah a lot of these things. It's really encouraging. And so, does that mean that from between now and then that we're not going to go through hard times? No, we're going to go through hard times. But when you know what's on the other side of time, it encourages us. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that Israel was, or they're going to get severely disciplined. They are going to get conquered by the Babylonians. The soldiers are going to come in, and they are going to have no mercy. It don't matter if you're an old lady. It doesn't matter if you're a pregnant woman. I mean, the Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to ravish the woman. They're going to burn the temple down. They're going to burn every single house down in Jerusalem. They're going to do damage. And, And so that's ahead. Isaiah sees that. Uh, and, 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 but he, but he what, he, what he, does is he tells them though, but I want you to know about this, that you are going to get disciplined, but you won't be destroyed because you're my people. And that anchor of hope, that anchor of hope that Isaiah gives, even we'll see it tonight, it, it helps us through the difficult times. We're going to go through it. You guys, sometimes it's because you're doing things right. Sometimes it's because you're doing things wrong. But still, you're a child of God. He will discipline, but he won't destroy us. And so, that, so that, that's why he, he writes these things. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 2. Um, look at verse 1. It says, this is the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year reign. It says, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And so in those days, they were called seers. It wasn't a bad thing. They were able to see. The Lord showed them the future. And so Isaiah sees it, and he writes it. It's concerning, you know, Judah and Jerusalem, that southern kingdom, that special city. It says in verse 2, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, the other versions say the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted uh, above the hills. One translation says it'll it'll become the most important place on earth. This mountain, this place there we're going to see in Jerusalem, and all nations, all nations, all nations shall flow to it. And so it's the last days, it's the latter days, and we're going to see that what this has to do is a little bit with Isaiah's day, but primarily it points to the the last days and the millennial kingdom. And so, God's people, Israel, will be dispersed and disciplined, but not destroyed. And as a matter of fact, He tells them, like the same thing He said in Jeremiah, even though you're in Babylon, I have a future for you. That's Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven through thirteen. One of our favorite scriptures. We like to quote it. I want you to know that I have this future for you and, and this hope and I'm thinking about you, thoughts that are good and not of evil. And, and so, you know, he's telling them that this right here, that, that, you know, the day would come when Jerusalem would be the epicenter of the world and all nations would go there and flow to the temple to worship the one true and living God. And so imagine that, you guys, it's going to be cool. We're going to be there. We're going to be there, and we're, as Christians who have been raptured, we'll have our glorified bodies, but there's going to be people on earth who don't have their glorified bodies, who have survived the tribulation period, and they're going to enter in, Matthew 25 talks about separating the sheep and the goats, they're going to go in, and they're going to repopulate the earth, and people are going to live, you know, a super long time, and it's going to be so amazing, and so, you know, they're like, hey, let's go to church, let's go to the temple, and, and look what they say in verse 3. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He, who's the teacher? He, imagine this. You guys, this is no joke. Jesus will be the teacher. And I tell you what, man, that just, oh, I can't wait. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. And so the people in the millennial kingdom, some of them are, are, you know, they still need correction. They're not perfect. We are because we're not glorified bodies. They're not. And so it says right there, he's going to settle disputes for many peoples. He's actually going to settle what they call international disputes. And during that time, it says right here, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. No war, now to agriculture. and nation shall not lift, lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And so, uh, as one translation says, all, all wars will stop and military training will come to an end because Jesus will be ruling during this millennial kingdom, you know, and and it's so cool when you read this, uh, Zion, another name for Jerusalem, and from there, the, the word of God will go forth, you see how it says right there, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, and you guys, did you guys know, most of you probably know, there's a wall across the street from the United Nations in New York City, and it has this verse right here, right, but here's the thing. I mean, it's, it's cool that they have the verse, but they think that they can bring our world to this kind of place of peace. That's what the United Nations thinks. But you and I, we know that, man, we can't do this. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't try, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be that place of, of diplomacy and morality, but, man, the world is not getting better. And so, you know, it's cool that they have the verse there. It's cool that they they think about it one day where there's no more war, and you know, we just destroy those types of weapons, but it, it ain't gonna happen until King Jesus shows up. And I and I and I think we all know that we we can't look to man for answers. And so, you know, the millennial kingdom. Isaiah's gonna talk more about it, but it's just good and it's important for us to know that in history now we'll tell you guys this real quick just in case i remember when i would first got saved and my pastor used to share this with me um how many days in a week seven okay i was just checking if you guys were awake or not all right and then how many days of sabbath one day of sabbath that's how the, the, the all started right and so six days and then one day of sabbath now if you go back to the time of adam and you fast forward to where we are now, in all reality, when you do the math, it's about 6,000 years. It's right around there. And, and, and so if God continues with that 6 and one pattern, then it all makes sense. The 6,000 years, rapture of the church, tribulation, um, and then 1,000 years, 1,000 years of the millennial reign. And so it's amazing to me how God has all these details for us. And so I, you know, we try to pick godly leaders. Sometimes it just seems like we have to choose the the best of two evils, you know. But eventually the day will come where Jesus will rule. and, And we look forward to that day. And so we got the millennial kingdom. But here we now transition into the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord it's also called the Day of Judgment. is a time when God will send judgment to the nations and purify Israel in preparation for the coming of the king to reign in Jerusalem. So this actually happens before the Millennial Kingdom. The Day of the Lord is described by John, the prophets, and by Jesus himself. And it's going to be a time of terrible suffering. The environment will be devastated. And check this out. Billions of people will die. During that judgment and justice day of the Lord. And so, look what it says in verse five. It says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people. He's talking about how God has forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because this is why God has forsaken them. They are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the ch- children of foreigners. Or, or one version says they clasp hands with, with foreigners. And nothing wrong with foreigners, it's not a race thing. He's saying you're, cra- you're clasping hands with non believers, really, is what he's saying. Okay? Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of uh, horses, and, and there's no end to their chariots. Now, so, so Israel was actually going through a time of national prosperity. Now, does anyone here remember the four kings that were in power during Isaiah's reign? We talked about it last week. During Isaiah's prophecy, there was Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, right, and Hezekiah. And so when you look at that time frame, you, f- you see, yeah, there was a time of money. Uh, they, were, they were rich. There was a time of, of military. I mean, not necessarily strongest in the world, but they had their horses, they had their chariots, and, and that's what they were trusting in. It says right there in verse 8, their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down, and each man humbles himself, Therefore, Isaiah says, do not forgive them. You know, and, and, and when you look at this, you know, the money, the military, the idols, who, what nation do you think of? I think of our nation, you guys. I think of our nation. I think of how God blessed our nation, and God had founded our nation, established our nation, and it was clearly him. I, I see his hand in so many ways, And then you just see that we have turned our backs on him. We used to teach the Bible in school. We would never do that now. It's not permitted to be taught in school, you know, prayer in school. Oh, no. So, you know, you're going to see some similarities in this. You know, here, uh, you know, Isaiah says in verse 5, we are to walk in, in the light. Walk in the light of the Lord. When you walk in the light, there's no hidden sin. When you walk in the light, there's transparency. You know, when you walk in the light, there's a right relationship with God. Uh, John talked about that in 1 John uh, 1, verse 7. uh, We are to walk in that light and have fellowship with one another. You know, God had lifted his hand of favor from the nation. He compared them to the Philistines. They were influenced by their eastern ways their their dark magic and divination the astrology the fortune telling the seances all that kind of stuff that we see even in the streets of almani you know they were uh there it says they they would look again they are pleased it says in verse six with the children of foreigners so it it may be that they were clasping hands with non-believers but it also may mean that because they married non-believers their kids were pagans and they were okay with that. They were okay with that. And so he's saying here, no, you know that was them. They, there was a lot of treasure that was going around, silver, gold, money. They had all their military might, horses and chariots, but their idols were there. And, and so I don't know, in the United States of America, there, is these, there are these statues. You go into these, some of these restaurants and they're sitting right there and they're giving their food to that statue. You guys see it? You see the statues of Mary and the saints. You see them everywhere. You may not see them as much as if you were going to India or Cambodia, places like that. But you guys know this, uh, that statues, I mean, idols are not just statues. Idols are anything that we put before God, right? And I'll tell you what, even though the United States might not be India with whatever, what is it, 33 million gods or something like that? 330. 330. million gods okay we might not have that we might have that when you think of all the things that we put before god you guys know this huh everything is lining up we see all the immorality all the grotesque behavior we're going to see it later when we get to isaiah five twenty. they call evil good and good evil that's the time that we're living in and so if judah If they got judged, don't you think we are? And so everything seems to be lining up. You know, God is on his way. It's going to be the day of the Lord. It's going to be the day of judgment. And as we've seen, you know, the prophecy here, we know that God is speaking to us as well. It's a good time to study the book of Isaiah. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of man shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And we're going to read that a couple of times. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan. Now those are trees, they're big, strong trees, and yeah, he might be talking literally, but more than likely he's talking uh, figuratively. He's talking about all these politicians who think they're God, who who are playing their demigod role. God says, I'm going to deal with them. They're the oaks of Bashan. They're these trees there in Lebanon. Verse uh, 13, 14, upon all the high mountains, same thing, and upon all the hills that are lifted up. Now, in the Bible, oftentimes these mountains or hills are in reference to government. And so one day, King Jesus is going to come, and I think it's very soon. And, you know, you're not going to have to vote him out of office. I mean, he's going to deal with them. Right upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the, the beautiful sloops, the the loftiness of men, the loftiness of men shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone, he says it again. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. He won't and he shouldn't share his glory with. Anyone. You know, it's not going to be a democracy. You know, it's not going to be a team of leaders. I mean, we will, you know, reign with him, but if there's gonna be no doubt, this is for the glory of God. This is Jesus ruling on planet earth. And I and I just love it, you guys, because here's the one that was crucified on a cross for us. You know, he suffered and he was died, and you know, I think that the way it works, the principle that we see in Scripture is before the crown, there's a cross. And so, you know, Jesus all, all took the, the most amazing cross, the most craziest cross, bearing the sins of the world and suffering separation from his Father for the first time in all eternity, and so imagine his crown. See, Jesus said, if you want to be a disciple of mine, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. But sometimes even Christians won't do that. They won't deny themselves. Well, too bad, Lord. I know you're telling me to do this, but I I, want to do something else. Well, before the crown, there's a cross. It's actually the terms of discipleship. And so Jesus, he definitely earned this crown, right? It's interesting how when Isaiah warns them you know, to hide from the terror of the Lord, how he, he warns them to enter the rocks, right? And, and when you look at that, look at verse 10 again. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. Doesn't that remind you of what you read in the book of Revelation chapter 6? And it's hand in hand. It's the same thing. In Revelation 6, in verse 15, it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains, And rocks fall on us, and it is from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, the great day, that's the day of the Lord, the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand you know pastor chuck he mentioned the fact that there are many bomb shelters and military installations that are built into rocks all around the world and you're going to see actually literally guys are going to go and try to hide and and they're going to try to escape the judgment and they will not be able to like i said earlier it won't be communism or socialism, democracy. It won't be anarchy, that's for sure. It's going to be monarchy. King Jesus will finally rule the world. And so I'm just excited about that, man. I don't know about you, but man, God's going to deal with it. And we see so much going on. I mean, if God was a God that was good, if God was a God that was just, then how can all these child molesters you know, get away with what they're doing? How could all these guys that are raping women and all the injustice that you see, uh, all the lies, all the, the way that we see, you know, mankind and manipulating the rich and, you know, uh, just exploiting the poor. I mean, so much that's happening. God, know he's going to bring justice to planet Earth. The day of the Lord of hosts, and the word hosts, it means heaven's armies, will humble all men. He alone will be exalted, and all those who have exalted themselves will be humble. Verse 18, it says, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises, notice, to shake the earth mightily. In that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made, each for himself to worship to, to the moles and, and bats. I mean, what good is an idol gonna do you In a time like that, I mean, sometimes, and I don't want to be legalistic, but sometimes this is our idol. And, you know, you spend so much time on your phone doing whatever it is that you're doing, and you have no time to pray, no time to read your Bible, no time to serve the Lord, but you're spending like, you know, six hours a day on something like this. And believe you me, in a time like that, you'll throw your phone away. I don't need, I I need God. You know, so we see this happening. We know the, the, the reality of it. It says in verse 21 to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord, the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth. There it is again, mightily. Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils for of what account is he? You know, what good will those things that we have put before God, what good will they be on that day? And then you got guys that you were trusting in idols or we're worshiping objects. And then you also got, sometimes we put our, our faith in men. And so I just want to encourage you guys tonight, man, trust the Lord. You know, it, it's all about Him. You know, you got your eyes on, on, on the Lord and you have this personal relationship with Him wherein He talks to you and, and you talk to Him and you just follow His marching orders. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, what we find is God is going to shake the earth not useless idols. Don't look there. Don't look to useless men even. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. The NLT puts chapter 2 verse 22 like this. Don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath and what good are they? So that day's coming. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Um, God just coming and shaking the world and judging all bad and just Man, billions of people dying, and your heart goes out to them, of course. But I, I just, because God is a holy and just God, he has to. He has to judge sin. And so when I think about it, I'm like, Lord, just um, do this. Come, because our world is, is crazy. Our world is crazy, Lord. And so in the book of Revelation, do you guys remember the prayer that John prayed at the end of the book? What do you say? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Maranatha. And that's got to be our prayer as well. Even the Lord's model prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See? And so it's happening. One day it's going to be there. It's going to be so cold. So you have the millennial reign, and we're going to talk a lot about this when we go through the book of Isaiah. He's going to give us more details of what it's going to be like during that time. And then we have the day of the Lord, where God's going to judge this world. And my prayer is that all of you guys here know Jesus, because we all deserve judgment. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then his payment of our judgment then gets transferred into our account, and we're forgiven and free. You know, the first way, the first time, the first aspect of you getting saved is first you got to realize I'm a sinner. I have separated myself from God and if I were to die today, I would perish. So you have to acknowledge I'm a sinner, I'm deserving of judgment, but Jesus died for me. And do you believe that? And as you believe that he died and rose again, you put your faith in him, God comes into your life. And when God comes into your life, God Changes your life, God brings conviction in sin, you know. And if you're still the same and you have no conviction, you're still doing those things, then maybe you need to, you know, re-examine. Lord, have I really given my heart to you? We were singing that song today, and it was kind of cool. I don't remember the exact words, but I remember I was praising. I'm just singing, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. That's what we need to do. So the third part in chapter three, verse one, is the Babylonian judgment on judah okay so we talked about how isaiah was prophesying during the reign of uh, uzziah and jotham and ahaz and hezekiah so uzziah died right around 735 bc and so we're not sure exactly when um, this all happened but right you know 700 bc and a little bit more is when isaiah was prophesying so in 586 bc the Babylonians came and they surrounded Jerusalem. And like I said earlier, they burned down the temple and they burned down every single house in Jerusalem. They looted the place. They took away everybody that was valuable to Babylon, who they considered to be valuable. They left a few people in the land to agriculture stuff. And uh, it, is, it's just, it was they were just slaughtered. The women were ravished. There was no mercy. This is what this is. Look what it says in verse 1. For behold, the Lord the Lord of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the, the mighty man and the man of war. The NIV says the hero and the warrior, they're gone. The, 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 the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the honorable men, The counselor and the skillful artisan and the expert enchanter. God was going to strip the land of the people. A large percentage of the people were slaughtered, but many were enslaved and they were taken away. That's what it says right there in verse 1 For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and Judah. And so, they, they take away uh, some of the leaders of the land, the skillful captains, counselors, honorable artists, even the, the valued expert enchanters. In Babylon, they would value them. This is when Daniel was also taken away too. And so um, when you look at this, it's, it just breaks your heart. You know, Judah did not have to experience this. If only they would have listened to the the preachers, if only they would listen to the, the pastors of those days, the prophets of those days that said, you got to get your life right. You know, I, one of the things you'll see in the Bible is every nation will be judged on earth, but not every person. Every person. Sometimes you see these guys and they get away with it and they live long lives, but what's going to happen to them after they die? See, eventually they're going to be judged. So all I know is this, that I, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit all the time all the time you say manny you got to get that right manny you got to change in that area manny you got to you know start praying more i mean there you gotta we have to listen to the voice of the holy spirit um right here we're going to see they got disciplined and they got it was unnecessary and and they got disciplined severely not destroyed but disciplined look what it says in, in verse uh, four. This would lead to a great void in leadership and i will give children to their to be their princes and and babes shall rule over them now it's interesting a lot of translations or commentators believe this is talking about anarchy you guys know what anarchy is anarchy is mob rules and we saw a little bit of this just recently during all these protests and riots and just think if that's just unleashed That will be what happens, and we see that there. We saw it there, and the people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. Now, if you keep it in context, this is probably the way it was during the 70 years when the Jews were in captivity, because you don't hear, like, what was it like in Israel when the Jews were in you know, Babylon, and then you know the Persians let them come back, what was it like? It was probably like this. No great leaders. Children, uh, immature people, in other words, were usurping leadership. There was anarchy. It was crazy. This was their experience. The people will be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have clothing and literally you have a cloak, like you have a nice jacket. Maybe you can rule us. You be our ruler and let these ruins be under your power. And that day he will protest saying, I I cannot cure your ills for in my houses, there's no extra food or clothing is what he literally says. Do not make me a ruler of the people for Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. And so God said, as they're all taken away, that there's going to be this great lapse of leadership. Pastor Chuck said, as things got worse, no one would want to lead the people or take responsibility in such conditions. And so that would be the condition of God's nation. Think about that. Sometimes I feel like we're there today. (laughs) You know, what? I don't want to put every politician down because I know that there are some good ones out there. But sometimes I'm, I feel like, you guys, we're already experiencing a degree of God's discipline. We're already experiencing that in many ways. He's kind of forsaking us in that, in that he is not, his hand of protection and his hand of favor is not what it used to be. And now we have some in office that are just completely oblivious to any type of biblical conviction whatsoever. Now we have people in office who are not just, you know, moral or, or neutral. I mean, they're the riffraff. They are anti-Christ. I was talking to my wife about this the other day and you guys know the antichrist is coming, right? The antichrist spirit has always been here, right? But the antichrist spirit is getting stronger. If you guys have not felt that, you know, then uh, something's wrong. You're you're going to start feel the darkness of the days that we're living in. And so we see this happen. Tony Evans said, instead of wise, strong, and spiritually-minded leaders, then the nation would be ruled by unstable, oppressive, and foolish and immature people. And so, you know, we see right here, Isaiah 3, verse 5, it says, in the NLT, people will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor, young people will insult their elders, and vulgar people will sneer at the honorable and so we read in verse 9 the the look on their countenance witnesses against them and they declare their sin the niv says they parade their sin as sodom they do not hide it woe to their souls for they have brought evil upon themselves and so we're definitely reading about the judgment of judah and the, the judgment of jerusalem specifically but we're also seeing parallels between what's going on in our world today. I mean, they have gay pride parade. Think about that. I mean, it's a parade. I mean, there's, it's, we're it's getting crazy, right? Now, don't misunderstand me. We love every person. We love them. But we have to hold to our biblical convictions. The Sodom right here is, is a revelation of something we see in our nation today. When the sin is not only allowed, it's not just tolerated, it's celebrated, right? And that's what he's talking about right here. You know, when you read Genesis 13 and Genesis 19, you see what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And right here, Isaiah is comparing them to this. You know, we, what, what used to be done in secret is now flaunted in our face, in God's face, it's taught in our schools. There's this aggressive agenda that's being presented in mainstream media and our gargantum government. That's what's happening. And so the thing that we need to know is this, because I remember um, I used to know, do any of you guys ever have a fish tank? I'm just curious, any of you guys have a fish tank? Did any of your fish ever die? Okay, so you feed them and you love them and you name them and all that kind of stuff, but then eventually, man, when one of them gets ick or something. And, uh, and then you know, oh, man, I think my fish is about to die because he's not hungry or whatever. He's getting eaten up by other fish. And so, you know, there's signs of decay. There's signs of death. The sign of a death of a society is what we're seeing here in Isaiah. A nation, Pastor Chuck Smith said, is on its last leg when it openly flaunts their sin. And what is sin? Because it's important to just call it what it is, not just a mistake, not just a blunder, not just a, oh, I kind of fell or stumbled. No, sin, you got to bring in that word sin because sin means that you offended God. You got to bring God into the equation because God tells us what's right and wrong. Not our laws, not legislation, not cultural whatever uh, preferences are. No, God does. And so now we're living in a day and age where we flaunt our sin in the face of God. And so, you know, God is going to deal with us. Look at, it says in verse 10, it's not all bad, you guys. Look what it says in verse 10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. And some of you guys here, I just thank God for you. None of us are perfect, but you're righteous. You are a Christian and you are sincere. And God says to you, it's going to be good for you. Don't grow weary in doing good. It's going to be good. But he says, woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with them for the reward of his hand shall be given him. See the same thing in Galatians 6, 7 through 9. If you get a chance, I encourage you guys to read it. It just basically says that whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. If you sow good seed, you're going to reap good you know, um, fruit. If you sow bad seed, you're going to reap bad fruit. The only difference, the only thing about it is this, that when you sow a seed, it takes time. It takes time. You're like, man, it's already been a month and I barely see this little blade of grass or whatever. And that's the difficulty because you're doing good and you're wondering, is it really worth it? Yes. You're doing bad and God doesn't strike you with lightning right away and you're like, well, I can get away with it. No. Eventually, you're going to reap what you sow so it's important for us to know these things verse 12 it says as for my people children are their oppressors and women rule over them again remember there's this leadership vacuum oh my people those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths the the lord stands up it's almost like a court to plead and stands to judge the people the lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes for you have eaten up the vineyard. And we'll talk about that in Isaiah 5. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. These people were getting rich off the poor. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? Says the Lord God of hosts. So he, he calls out the leaders, and then he calls out the, the women that are rich. Look at verse 16. Moreover, the Lord says, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, and wanton eyes, that means flirting eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making and jingling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with the scab of the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, and the crescents the pendants, the bracelets, and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, and the headbands, the perfume boxes, and charms, and the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. And so it shall be, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of a well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and you're mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she, being desolate, shall sit on the ground. And here were women. The Amos, I'm sorry, Micah calls them, Amos 5.18, no, I'm sorry, I know it's Micah calls them the cows of Bashan, Amos, Amos chapter four, verse one. And um, these were ladies that were just, they were just filthy rich, filthy rich to the detriment of the poor. And these were ladies that were so just obsessed with all the the, the exterior decor. They were invested into anything they can get their hands on to you know spending all their money to enhance their exterior beauty and and inside Jesus talks about this sometimes you look so good on the outside but inside they were hideous and God says I see I see the way that you're that way as leaders the way you're that way as some of these rich women were and God says I'm going to I'm going to deal with you you know first peter chapter 3 it talks about how you know we should as ladies, and I think men too, huh guys? We can be all caught up in that stuff, um, how we should focus more on the inner beauty than the outer beauty. Nothing wrong with, you know, buying some stuff, but where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line when you're spending thousands of dollars and you're giving $15? I, I don't know. I mean, it, there's that, that that aspect we're going to talk about in Isaiah, where is it okay for a Christian to, to live in luxury there are some rich people, all I would say is that it's okay to be rich, but I would say this, that if you're rich, you really better make sure that as God raises your standards of living, that you you raise your standards of giving, that you really, because I see it a lot, take care of the poor and not just yourself. So we're going to see that as we go through the book of Isaiah. So um uh, I, I will say this, and I've shared this with you guys before, because sometimes you're, you guys are here and you're doing good and you're, you're wondering, Lord, is it really worth it? I mean, I see that person blessed in that way and that person blessed in that way and them over there. And here I am, and just I'm trying to make ends meet, live paycheck to paycheck, or whatever it might be that you're kind of down about. You know, uh, Isaiah says, hey, you tell the righteous. You make sure you tell them that it's worth it. It reminds me of that one time I heard a story about missionaries that were out on the field, and they were serving God faithfully for 40 years. So eventually they retired, and so they got on their ship, and they headed home, and when they headed home, there was this crowd of people that were there, and they they pulled up into the bay, and they just heard everyone applauding them, right? And they were like so happy. But then it comes to find out that the applause wasn't for them, it was for a politician that was on the boat. <laughs> and, uh, and there was no one there for them. They, After 40 years on the mission field, there was no one there for them. And so the wife turns to her husband and she says, was it worth it? All the sacrifice that we did, was it worth it? And, and then the husband says, yes, sweetheart, we're not home. You know, and maybe God will bless you on this side of time, but I tell you what, if you're doing that thing, if you're righteous, I think God wants me to tell you that you're going to be rewarded.